What's up, world? I got a question for you. What is it that makes coffee so damn good? Maybe it's that caffeine and dopamine hit you get after pounding a pot or two. Or perhaps it's that feeling of connection that you get when you sit down with another person to work on yourselves in the process of recovery. Maybe it's the fact that you can take something so bitter and turn it into something so delicious. Whatever it is, we in the recovery community love our coffee. And why not? Coffee is fuel. Coffee is love. Coffee is life. That's what makes Brainwash Coffee the perfect partner for the Other Side of Hell podcast. Not only is every flavor of Brainwash Coffee mastered and handcrafted by obsessive minds who won't stop until they've gotten it just right, but 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community to help those who may still be suffering, which makes Brainwash Coffee a no-brainer. My personal favorite is Ego Ain't Your Amigo, a nice blend of Ethiopian and Guatemalan bean with a hint of citrus, dried fruit, and caramel flavor makes it a delicious blend for any time of day. Right now, you can go to brainwashedcoffeeco.com and use promo code OTHERSIDE for 20% off your coffee purchase. Brainwashed Coffee, clean your being. We at the Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better. Hey, what's up, everybody? I am Cameron. And I'm Willie. Welcome to the Other Side of Hell podcast. Yes. How are you, Willie? I'm really good. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. Thanks for inviting me back. It's good to be here in the studio. <laughs> I'm always I'm always nervous you're going to ask me to not come. Well, I, I don't know what I would do without you. Yeah. Well, I'm not really always nervous. I just I'm talking shit. I feel like <laughs> it would be really awkward for me to just be here by myself. <laughs> For for everyone involved. Yeah, like I don't think other people would like it. Too. I would do it, but I would just answer my own questions. You'd be like, who's this guy? Yeah, I, most people think you're the podcast anyways. <laughs> They'd be like, oh, this must be a new show. What is this? What? Who is this joker? So, speaking of new shows, we got the new times. Everything's good. Yeah. All yeah. is well. We're, we're doing all right. We're still in this like self-discovery mode. Yeah. <laughs> Figuring it all out. Still in this discovering of self, even with what we're doing with the show. Even now. Yeah. Today. This moment. That's right. It, it's, it's funny because like every, every intro, like we sit here and like don't plan out how we're going to say hi. And so we have to discover new ways to. To try and keep it different, <laughs> but the same. <laughs> And I discover in myself that you're very clever. Ah, you too. Hey, uh, in case you haven't figured it out yet, (laughs) we are talking about discovering yourself today. Why? Discovering yourself because uh, we have a great war story. Yes. From uh, Alice. Alice? Alex. Alex. Well, it's spelled with an S. No, it's not. Dude, look at the way that you spelled that. I did not spell it like that. You did too. Look at YouTube. <laughs> well, it might be like I that mean, on we'll YouTube. I this but... stuff. <laughs> that's why I was like, I am proud of you, if that's how it's spelled. <laughs> no, Alexandra. 
I thought it was weird. I thought it was <laughs> Alessandra with a with an S. No, it's Al. I figured you spelled it right. That's because you were like, oh, Cameron will be proud of me. I had her spell it. I know, but I thought she said S because you spelled it with an S on YouTube. No, <laughs> Anyways, we have an interesting war story today from uh, Alex. Alex, yes. One pretty of, amazing. One of my favorites. We've, we've, we've become friends, so it's an honor to have her on here. She's got a crazy story. Yeah, and I've... I've a lot of it. A lot in it. I've heard her talk a couple of times in meetings, and you can tell that she she just really there's a lot to her. Yeah, and she she is, as she puts it, in in the sober grind. Yeah, I love that. Well, and she's she's just immersed. It's one hundred percent her life. Yeah, and which you know it sort of has to be. Yeah, but she uh, she was great, and, and one of the things, and, and the reason why I wanted to talk about this is one of the things that she talked about early in her story is just really sort of discovering herself, right? Mm -hmm. Like she she went through this process of getting sober and and in that process she was able to discover all new things about herself and it just really made me think about, you know, how little I think I knew about myself. Yeah. You know, in the early days of of sobriety and um and things that I thought I knew that turned out not to be true. Right. Yeah, we were just running on survival mode all the time. We never really knew anything about who we are. I know I didn't. You know, I, uh, I created I created the facade of who I was through needing to maintain my addiction, mm-hmm. right? And so I became this person that uh, I never intended to be. I became this person that was so far from removed from who I could be, and and definitely not who I am today. You know, and so getting sober and going through this process has helped me discover who I am and create also who I am, you know, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And, and I love getting to hear how other people have done it and their success in discovering who they are and just owning that shit, you know? Yeah. Well, and I just, it, it, it like in hearing her talk about it and, and uh, to your point, you know, I think that when we, when we first show up, we really are. Uh, we really are sort of reborn, right? Mm-hmm. This is way too loud, Jordan. Way too loud. Um, we really sort of are reborn, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and we have to go through this process of figuring out like what works and what doesn't. Yeah. And so for me, like, I I had to first forget about everything that I thought I knew. Ooh, it's a tough one. Which was a big deal. Yeah, like. Like letting some shit go, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. And uh, and that took some time. It took yeah. some doing. Yeah. How did it start for you? Like, so really, I just remember being in treatment and trying to like go through, uh, like, really like allowing myself to be there. But I still had all these outside influences, right? Mm-hmm. I still had all these things that were going on on the outside, where. Um, like I still had bills to pay. I still had, you know, um, people that I was interacting with that I was ignoring now. And I remember there was this kid that came into treatment after me and, um, and he just wasn't getting it right. Like he just, he just was not surrendering. He hadn't surrendered yet. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and the, he was removed from the program. Like they they basically just said, dude, you're not ready yet. (laughs) You know, like you're not, you're not, you're not ready to do the deal. You know, you're not ready to take our suggestions and do what it is that we're, we're asking of you. 
Yeah. And uh, and I remember there was one incident where um, I was trying to take care of some stuff that was happening on the outside. Um, namely, I was trying to like pay some bills, and um, and they were trying to get me to go to group or something. We were talking about it in group, and I was just saying, yeah, but all this stuff is important. All this stuff is is super important. Like I have to do this stuff, or you know, like w- w- I have to do it. And they're like, dude, you sound like homeboy. <laughs> you sound like the guy we just kicked yeah, out. Yeah, you sound like the dude that we just kicked out. And I was like, oh shit, like. Uh-huh. You know, and and what it made me realize is that none of that shit mattered. Like, right. the most important thing for me to do right then and there was to do exactly what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And and it really just made me stop and take a look at myself and say, okay, like, this is what I have to do. Mm. You know, and uh, and that was you know one of the first moments. You know, sort of cracked. A little bit of that self-perception I had, right? And uh, and then there was, you know, more moments as 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 my recovery went on. The next was just that moment that, you know, I've shared about on the show before, where I had relapsed and I was using again, and I was drinking again, and it wasn't working. Right. You know, and I had that moment where it was like, dude, I'm either gonna upgrade or I'm gonna go back to treatment. Yeah. You know. And, uh, and I chose to go back to treatment. And when I went back, dude, I was just humble as fuck, completely defeated and just like surrendered as absolutely everything. I didn't know anything. And I was ready to just have you tell me what to do so that I could figure it out. Yeah. And then from that moment forward, you know, I began to do what other people were telling me to do. And, and I was learning about myself in that process, right? Like figuring out that, oh, okay, like I can do this. I can actually, like I am somebody that cares about what other people, you know, think or what other people are going through or what other, you know, like just sort of figuring out all these things about myself along the way through this process of surrender Mm -hmm. And then willingness. Right. And so for me, that's that's where it began, you know. And then as I went through the process and I would continue to, to learn new tools and new things to do, things progressively got better. Yeah. And do you like do you like the result? Yeah, absolutely. I do too. Yeah. I do too. You know, and, and uh, I've been I've been trying to discover myself for a very long time. You know, I think that's even what we were doing in the streets, man. You know, when we were using and stuff. And I dare say that um, you know during that moment of relapse that you had, there was some self discovery there too, because right. obviously it's not working anymore. Like there's some more work to be done. You know, for me, I, I as you were sharing, I was remembering a long time ago after <laughs> I got out of treatment. Uh, when I was 24, I turned 25 in Gillette, Wyoming. And one of the things that was always suggested in the recovery movement is, you know, you got to change everything. Right. And, and I'm so fucking literal that I thought I had to change everything. Right. Like I thought I had to change everything. My, my dressing style, my haircut, you know, not just my environment and friends, but like everything. And so I remember going through this period trying to 
discover a different kind of music, mm -hmm. right? Like, mm -hmm. I, I yeah. was I was a metalhead my whole life, right? But but I was so concerned with with my mental well being and, and relapse and staying sober that I thought I had to get rid of heavy metal, and so uh, I was trying to get rid of it. And and as I would uh, relapse on heavy metal, it caused this discomfort because I didn't feel I felt like I wasn't being honest or that I was doing something wrong because I was trying to change everything. I was trying to find enjoyment in things that, you know, weren't my vibe. Um, but I wanted to know who I was. And it turns out like there's some things that I've carried with me my entire life that are who I am, you know, um, heavy metal was, was a big part of it. I just, I just vibe that way. And I found that I can keep heavy metal and stay sober, you know, humor, you know, you're, you're way funny. And, uh, you know, humor is a big part of who you are. And like, if you got rid of that because you thought you needed to get rid of it to be sober, I think that would be detrimental. And I think like just experimenting with that stuff in sobriety is super important, you know, um, hanging on to the things that are who we are and letting go of the things that aren't, you know, um, I was, I was a thief and a liar and I was shady and I've even tried some of those things in sobriety you know, trying to discover, you know, who am I and what really works for mm -hmm. me? You know, do little white lies work for me? No. Right. right. But, but, um, adding new music does. And it's such a great, it's such a neat and great process of, you know, um, being open to trying new things to discover who we are. Because, you know, if I go back to who I was as a child, you know, I was really, uh, into exploring the world around me and sometimes as an adult that's hard to do but it's still a really great place for me to be at to discover you know new ways about enjoying life in sobriety you mm -hmm. know trying these new different ways of, of doing things um you know i was so defeated when i came in this last time that i was willing to do just about anything and if it, if it would have meant giving up heavy metal or anything like that, I would, I would have done it, but I don't know that I would have been, it, it would have been as successful, you know, because I found that, um, there's some things that I just need to hang on to, you know, uh, and, and build my identity around that, you know, but I have to let go of the idea that any substance outside of myself is going to bring me relief. I need to let go of that completely and then figure out who I am in that arena after, the drugs and alcohol are gone. Um, my disease is going to try to convince me that no matter what direction I go, it's wrong. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. I have that, that's part of my ism. And so if, you know, I keep, I keep using heavy metal cause it was so profound for me Yeah, to, to try that mm -hmm. and find that it was just fucking miserable for me. Right. You know, like that aggressive music was so big for me to get out the internal, anger and, and frustration that I felt inside. It was just a great outlet for me and for me to try to give that up and not have another release for that was just painful. And so when I came to accept that, you know what, I'm a metalhead, and I can stay sober listening to metal, right? Discovering that that's okay. was, was huge for me. And so if that's the case, like you were saying, like, uh, you know, thinking like, who am I not? And who am I and what can I keep and what can I let go of, you know, um, 
it's a big part of this whole growth process in order to, to discover and create the person that I want to be in sobriety so that I can give that person away. Right. right? Be of service to other people mm-hmm. and help them find who they are through that same process. Hopefully, hopefully we can help somebody, you know, discover yeah. that they're great. Like, like you're great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's like you said, I mean, you, you, but you had to go through that process yeah. to figure out like what you did and what you didn't like or what you could hold on to and what you had to let go of. Yeah. Right. And that's, I mean, and that's sort of what, what we find when we're in those early stages, when we've completely surrendered, or at least in my experience is like, I had to be willing to let go of it all. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what they mean when they say like, you have to be, you have to change everything. You know, yeah. like I had to be willing to let go of it all. And it's funny that you bring up humor because yeah, like I, I use humor as a defense mechanism, right? Because it's a way to disarm people. And, and it was a way for me to like have confidence in myself without feeling, you know, the best about the way I looked or or any of that stuff, right? So humor was always my go-to, and it still is now. Like, but I didn't know if 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 I was really like fun. Like I, I if I was funny, like I had to play with that, just like you had to play with the heavy metal. I was like, is is it appropriate for me to be funny in this situation? Mm-hmm. You know, like I had to really kind of go through that same process with humor. And I remember actually like you know, sharing that with somebody, like, I don't know, I don't know if I'm actually really funny. Like, (laughs) you you know what I mean? Because this, this was the process, like, and that's how it is. Like in those early days is like, I was really just sort of like lost, like, and for me personally, like I had decided that I wanted to be like a stand-up comedian at some point. And so like, I was using alcohol, to fuel that I was Mm -hmm. figured I had to be intoxicated in order to be funny. And so it was just really weird sort of dynamic that I had built around this humor that when I had surrendered enough, I wasn't sure if I was allowed to be humorous anymore, you know, and I, I didn't really know. And, And then I really did get to a point where I, I found out that it's okay for me to be humorous but sarcasm isn't always appropriate. Right. You know, where like, to use it and when. Yeah, exactly. So like there was a smart way for me to sort of address some of this stuff and to apply humor because I am humorous, you know. Yeah, you are. And I try to be funny and I try to, you know, lighten moods and, and bring joy to people that way. But if I'm using it in a way that's harmful and hurtful, like it is not okay. Yeah. Like, that's not okay, you know. So um, but I had to go through this process to get to that point with that specific thing. And that's sort of how it was with a lot of things, yeah. you know, like really trying to figure out like, okay, like, do, do I like going to the gym? Am I somebody that, you know, can exercise? Because I'd sort of just made up in my mind that I, yeah. I didn't like that stuff. Right. I can relate to that. Yeah. So I had to, I had to decide like, well, is, is that even true? Like, mm. you know, and, and then apply that again to my own recovery. Like, well, it's probably okay if I, if I go to the gym every day, as long as I'm not again, being hurtful or harmful to somebody else. So like, what am I sacrificing in order to make that happen? Like, 
you know, who, who's, who's affected by this behavior and, and sort of really take a look at those things in, um, in context with those behaviors and actions. Yeah. And, uh, and, and man, it was a process. It, it's still something I'm learning, you know, like today, like I'm still learning new things. And that's the thing is like, I don't ever want to be done like learning about myself. Yeah. Like I've had some old things creep back in and I've had, you know, some, some habits that have, um, that have persisted some character defects that have reared their ugly head and reminded me that like, you know, like, okay, there's still work for me to do. Like, work. Maybe I need to go to therapy and I do go to therapy, you know, and like maybe there's still things I need to address, some underlying issues, some causes, some, some things that I still need to, uh, to work out with somebody that are all in an attempt to discover enough about myself that I can put my best foot forward and be of service to somebody else. Mm-hmm. And so we don't ever stop. Right? No. We don't ever stop learning about ourselves. And, and for me, it's important that I do just continue to be willing to, to learn. And so with that being said, like, have you found anything, um, did you discover anything about yourself that you really just knew that you had to change? And if so, what was it and how did you change it? Oh, Yes. Uh, well, the, I think the biggest thing for me was, was my negative self-image, you know, the, ne- the negative image right. that I had about myself. Um, I went through, through very dark periods of my life where I thought it would be a good idea to um, harm myself to the point where um, there was no way that you could harm me physically or mentally or emotionally because I had already beaten myself down to the, to the ground, right? Um, we would play this game when we were drinking and this was a long time ago, but it, it was insult yourself. Right. And so basically you just try to say the most fucked up thing about yourself. And then, you know, um, I'm also historically a self mutilator. And so, uh, not only would I emotionally, uh, beat myself down, I would actually physically beat myself down, you know, harm myself, mm. whether it's running your fucking head through the wall or punching myself or, you know, sticking needles and pins and shit in my hands and arms and uh, looking for fights, trying, you know, just trying to get that physical uh, um, anguish going on. So when I came into sobriety, um, I also had a low self-esteem, right? And so um, not believing that I was ever really worthy of love based on, you know, my actions in my belief that, you know, actions created worthiness. And, and if I wanted to be loved, I needed some type of action that was worthy of love. Um, so, you know, the, 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 the huge thing is like my four step story, right? When I burned my four step. Right. And <laughs> what had happened was, um, you know, I'd gotten sober Um, I was using the tools of sobriety. I was using a sponsor. I was going to meetings and I was doing the step work as suggested. Um, And it's not uncommon to burn your four step. You know, a lot of people have heard of that. Like once you're done with your four step, you read it to your sponsor. And um, the intention was after I burnt my four step to stand in front of a mirror completely naked, look myself in the eye and say, you know, Willie, I love you. Um, I thought somehow I thought maybe I had done enough work to be able to do that, you know, through working steps one through five with a sponsor, you know, having a job, 
being responsible, going to meetings, having a service position. You know, I thought all those things were going to get me to a point where I did love myself. And so I did just that, you know, I, I burnt my four steps ceremoniously, um, had the opportunity to go stand in front of this mirror naked. And I stood in front of this mirror naked and my full intention was, I was going to say, Willie, I love you. I needed to hear that from myself. Mm -hmm. And I, and I stood in front of that mirror naked and I looked myself in the eyes and I said, Willie, I fucking hate you. And I started crying and I knew that there was absolutely a lot of work that needed to be done in that. But what I discovered in that was that my self-hatred was so deep. It was a lot greater than I could have ever imagined. Um, but there must have been some type of hope because that's when my health journey started. Like I knew the action needed to be taken. Right. Right. The feeling of, of, of discouragement and despair and sobriety. Right. I was sober. I was working a program. More will be revealed. Right. And, and out of that one moment came all the other understandings that I have about myself today, you know, having that desire to know myself well. Like, I want to know me really well. I've shared it several times. I want to get to the end of my life, look back and go, Willie, you fucking nailed it. You did everything you needed to do to discover who you are and you became the highest version of yourself through this work, through this process. This is how you did it. And it, and it started with that moment of understanding that I seriously hated myself for the actions that came prior to that moment. And I was able to change a lot of things after that, right? And so... Um, what I ended up doing with that was, uh, mentally documenting it and starting a journey of self-love, mm. right? So if I hate myself that much because of these actions, what are the things that I can do in the opposite of that to create self-love, right? Is that something that I want? Yeah. I don't want to be afraid. I don't want to live in fear. I don't want to live in the dis-ease of alcoholism, of mental suffering and, and all the things that come along with that. Um, one thing led to another, right? And I started doing actions that made me proud one action at a time. And those one actions at a time uh, created and built self-esteem within me, right? Finishing step five, step six was an accomplishment and I own that accomplishment, you know? saying no to something was an accomplishment and I own that accomplishment and all those things built on upon 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 success builds upon success builds upon success I ended up finishing all 12 steps with a sponsor and that was an accomplishment it mm -hmm. added to my self-esteem right and I discovered that I can create self-esteem through action so I don't know if that answers you. No, it does. I can't, can't remember your question. Well, <laughs> no, I mean, I think that that's, that's exactly right. Like, what did you do about it, right? Like, you had this you had this problem. You had, you know, something about yourself that you were able to discover after you got sober. And then you were able to, to determine what action needed to be taken. And like you said, in that instance, you decided to start your health journey, mm -hmm. right? Which is a journey that doesn't end. Never. Yeah, it's something that, you know. It's okay. Well, yeah, well, it, it's, we accept it, yeah. right? Like it, it doesn't end. And that's, and that's just the thing is that there's going to be things that I learn about myself on this, like in, in this process through some of the work that we do through 12 steps 
or whether it's, you know, um, other things like in my case, you know, I was able to um, figure some things out about myself through Mass and Kip's book, um, uh-huh. Claim Your Power, you know. And, uh, and, and there's all sorts of resources out there that we can use um, that, that will allow us to figure out these certain things about ourselves. So we're always going to have these things that we have to accept and we're, and we're going to have these things that we're able to change. Mm-hmm. And in your case, you know, you knew that, that you, you found that out about yourself and that you needed to change it. And so you took the appropriate right. action. Um, and, uh, and so I appreciate you sharing that with me. Like, I think I needed to hear that, you know, on some sort of level. And, um, and, you know, here's the thing is with this process, like we, we discover more and more about ourselves. Like one of the things that I heard you say was, you know, that you really had to set out on a venture of self-love. And, and that's the thing is like, the more I learn about myself, the more I'm able to, to see that um, despite whatever it is that I learn about myself, like I don't get to hate myself for it. Right. right? Like um, I, I can only go through this process in a positive manner and say, you know what, like there's, there's these things for sure. Um, I'm not perfect. Right. And that's one of the things that I've figured out about myself is that I have this innate desire to want to be perfect and to think that I should be perfect. Right. And when I'm not perfect, I have a tendency to get really spun out on like hating myself for, for those imperfections, you know? And, uh, and, and these are the things that, you know, I've, I've learned as the process goes, it's like, Oh wait, like I'm still an alcoholic. Right. Like that's, that's, that's an alcoholic thinking to me. Like that's the ism to me. And that's, that's still, um, you know, the nature of the dis-ease. And so, um, yeah, it turns out there's still work for me to do, you know, and, and I'm often met with these, with these situations or these points in my sobriety or my recovery where, you know, like I think for whatever reason that I should be healed. Yeah. I think for whatever reason that I should be over it and that it should no longer be an issue. And I'm reminded that, you know, that's not the case. Like, and it's like, okay, it turns out I'm still an alcoholic. Yeah. Turns out there's still work for me to do. And so it turns out that action is still the answer. And, um, and that's what I'm going to do. Like in your own case, like you've sort of come to this conclusion recently, right? Where you've decided that you needed to take action in regards to something, right? Sure. You were met with a situation and you decided that you needed to take action. You were able to sort of meditate and determine what action needed to be taken and you've landed on something and you've taken the appropriate action. Yeah. Are you talking about cleaning my truck? Well, I'm (laughs) well, that's a story if you want to tell that story. You're you're talking about me re-engaging in my step work. Exactly. I'm, 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 guessing is what you're talking about, which, which, yeah, you know, I mean, I went through, I, I get just like you, right? Like, I think I should be somewhere right. other than where I'm at. Like, like I, I am so recovered that I should never be in a dark space, right? Yeah. Like, why am I still having to deal with this? Like, like I think there's yeah. an end of the journey, right? You know, and, and there's not. And, and it usually comes like after a moment of serenity, right? Like I have this this period of, I don't, I don't know if you still get a pink cloud at 10 years sober, you know, I'm like nine and a half, almost 10 years sober. So I don't know that it's a pink cloud like it was early on in sobriety where I was super high about, but I go through moments of serenity where, where like everything's good, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's mm-hmm. good. I'm feeling good. I'm not tripping on shit. 
Um, because everything is always good right now, you right. know, like, like I feel like I'm a responsible, productive member of my life and, and things are good, but there, there's times where I feel like everything's good. Right. <laughs> like, right, like, yeah. like I'm feeling yeah. not a cloud on the horizon. Right. And I think I'm going to live there forever. It's <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and so after, after that vibe comes the goal hole. Right. And I fall into this fucking pit where, you know, now, uh, for no apparent reason, I'm feeling irritable, discontent, restless. I'm feeling a sense of impending doom. Uh, and, and I try to get out of it by a few different means. Right. Uh, I never go to spiritual work first. Yeah. Generally, you know, unfortunately, I go through this process of like, w- I, I just get deeper into the fucking rut because I don't know that I'm there until I'm fucking way in it. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm like way the fuck out in the weeds. And, I'm, mm-hmm. and I look around, I'm like, oh, fuck, I'm way out in the weeds. And so I try to get back by myself. I'm like, well, I got myself out here. I can, I can get back. So I think I'll just work out harder. You know, well, that didn't work. I think I'll diet harder and work out harder. Well, that didn't work. So I, I'll, I'll increase my food consumption and that didn't work. So since, since the foods that I'm, that are on my green list aren't working, I'll add foods that are on my red list because at least that'll bring me joy. I think, Yeah. you know, yeah. and, and, and then I'll overconsume that and then I'll a- increase my, my porn consumption, my, f- my phone consumption period, social media, I'll try a new challenge. I'll do like, like I'll do almost anything other than spiritual work. And, and like, I went through that dark space after my mom got hurt and none of those things were working where, you know, the, the negative behavior was increasing to the point where shit started getting risky. You know, like I was seriously trying to, like I hadn't burned my house down yet, but I bought the fuel. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and I seen, I seen the writing on the wall. And fortunately for me through, you know, this self-discovery, um, through, through working with a sponsor in the past and doing step work and being on the podcast and having the people in my life that I have, uh, got to a point where it's like, well, fuck, maybe we need to go back to the basics. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and that's, that's where I went. Right. Like, what is the one thing that I need to work on? And it turns out, for me, like the big thing that, that increased dramatically over the last two months was my porn consumption. Right. And it started affecting me spiritually. And I didn't, I didn't notice it until shit started getting out of hand. Right. Like until I started like disappearing from fucking work and not coming home on time and like staying late and like doing all this sneaky fucking behavior. And then no wonder I'm getting depressed. Like I'm living in the disease, even though I'm not drinking and using, like I'm using something else, you know, and I do the same thing with food. I'll go to that same place. And so I got with another alcoholic and we started working the steps on that, you know, step one, powerlessness and unmanageability, you know, go back to the tools that work. Right. I've discovered that with myself, I thrive in the work. That's something that I discovered about myself. Right, right. right? Like if I'm in the work, if I'm in the solution, I thrive. Mm-hmm. You know, I discovered that I'm a pretty powerful being in my own life. Like I'm a pretty, 
I'm a pretty big deal to myself. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because here's the thing that I discovered about myself is that I am capable of doing some amazing things. Yeah. And I've proven that to myself, right? Like I, I have accomplished some pretty amazing things. Yeah. And so I like in this moment, right, when I was first in recovery and I was completely defeated, mm-hmm. it's like you said, like I had these these accomplishments that, that I, I received by going through the steps and doing some hard things. Mm-hmm. And then they just built on each other and my confidence, I get more and more confidence with myself and I start to see like, okay, like I am actually capable of doing some pretty amazing things. Right. But the opposite is true too. Yeah. Like I can be my own worst enemy, you know, and I have seen that very, very clearly as well. It's like, yes, I'm, I'm capable of doing amazing things when I am in a place spiritually where I'm helping others, I'm working with others, I'm taking suggestions, um, I'm approaching things with a certain amount of humility, and I'm understanding that, you know, like, I have no control over certain things right. and that there's things that, that, um, I can control. And those are the things I need to focus on and, and moving forward from that place. Um, but I can get just as turned around where I stop believing all that stuff mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and start believing, you know, the negative thoughts that are coming into my mind. And like you said, I start living in the disease yeah. and I turn to these negative things. I turn to porn, I turn to food, I turn to whatever for any sort of relief when I know what works, you know, <laughs> and, and, and it's crazy to me, but it's cunning, baffling and powerful. It is the disease still working in, in, in yeah. my life today, you know, and one thing that I really appreciated about um, about Alex's story was she, she, you know, she's got a little over four years now yeah. and she talked about how she started to see these character defects come back into her life. Right. Right. And so she took the appropriate action at that point. She, you know, she decided that there was still work to do yep. and she went after it. Yeah. And that's exactly what you have to do. And so she's immersed herself in this world of, of recovery and, and the grind that is sobriety, you know, and, uh, and it's paid off immensely, you know, yeah. like you can see that and you can hear it in her voice when she talks. Yeah. Super confident. I, I, I love it. Yeah. I love her voice. I love her delivery. Uh, her story, her principles behind it, you know, her ability to tie everything together. It's just super dope. Yeah, she did a really good job, and it's amazing to hear, you know, where she came from and and, uh, and how she lives her life today. And and uh, I'm excited to share it with everybody. So with that, yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's get roll into it. it. So without further ado, here is Alex's war story. Alex, uh, addict and alcoholic. Um, so I guess just to start off, you know, going into uh, my backstory a bit um, and what would have led to, you know, um, precursors or what triggered me or what um, would have led to my addictions, you know, later on and the more I, I look at my, my trajectory and my journey in retrospect, um, I started using and boozing at a very young age, at the age of 10. Um, looking back on it today, you know, four years and, uh, four years and, uh, two months into recovery now, I really got to say, first of all, you know, um, for me, recovery is absolutely transformative process in a, 
in and of itself, you know, uh, real transformation requires real honesty and I'll get to that. And I don't say my, I don't say it's my clean date. I don't say it's my, um, sober date. It's absolutely my rebirth date because that life I previously lived before April 22nd, 2017, um, completely ceased to exist. And that woman that I used to be, um, before April 22nd, 2017 completely ceased to exist that day. It's funny on another podcast, um, with, uh, the one day I decided podcast, I was asked the question one day I decided and unbeknownst to me on April 22nd, 2017, that one day I decided unbeknownst to me to change my entire life, my entire world. Um, so going back to, you know, the young age of 10, um, looking back on it now, you know, the drugs and alcohol were absolutely never the problem. Um, they were the solution to my every problem. Obviously, the further I go into my recovery, uncovering, discovering, and recovering myself on a daily basis, I've been peeling those layers, going more profound, um, doing that deep inner healing work, tapping into my inner child, my subconscious mind, you know. Um, so again, when I go into the recovery as a transformative process, you know, it's about uncovering, discovering, and recovering myself on a daily basis, ongoing, um, and God willing, lifelong. So going back to that, my father was a my father was an addict and an alcoholic. Uh, God bless his soul. Um, he could not do for himself what um, I've been able to do for myself while he was here. You know, he never found that better way of life for himself. He was one of the first people that I forgave um, when I came into recovery. I have daddy abandonment issues. My mom left him when I was about three years old. Um, so he was that you know that father. He was never that father figure I needed in my life. He was never um, that male presence that I needed in my life, you know. Um, he was a very absent father, a no-show, those false promises, manipulation, right? Not, not matching his words to his actions and vice versa. Um, but, you know, I, I, I know far too well and understand today his trials, plights, and tribulations, and his struggles, and what he went through, um, because I was that same parent for 10 years of my daughter's um, early life, you know, she's, she's going to be 14 this August, but I was a deplorable parent. Um, I wasn't an absent parent, but I was absent, you know, at the end of the day, I was totally checked out. I was in the throes of active addiction her first 10 years of life. So I've forgiven him for that, but definitely that daddy, you know, I have deep-rooted daddy abandonment issues. Um, my dad is also black, so I'm of mixed origin. Um, and I now, you know, I used to, in early recovery, start all my shares off with the fact that he was black and say he depicted every stereotype of a black man. Um, he was that deadbeat father. He was an addict. He was an alcoholic. Uh, but today, it's really, again, going back to his beliefs, his patterns, the way he was raised, his history, his, his you know, um, his programming and, and how that transcended into my life. But the fact that I'm of mixed origin plays a big, big part in my story too, um, because I have what I've now identified as an identity crisis from a very young age. So never being black enough for the black or white enough for the white. Um, so again, that leads me to now I have abandonment issues and I have an identity crisis and, and a feeling of um, not fitting in anywhere. 
you know, even in my, my mother's, my, my mother's French Canadian. So right there, alcohol is inherent in my culture. Um, I am French and, you know, even within my maternal fam, so, sorry, did that cut out? Okay. So even, even within my, um, maternal family, you know, my grandfather, my French Canadian grandfather, um, didn't even go to my mom and dad's wedding because she was marrying a black man. So there's, there's racism within my own family. Right. So again, that, that feeling of fitting in, you know, mind you, my grandfather absolutely loved his grandchildren, especially me and my sister. My sister was his first grandchild. And that's the day he spoke he started speaking to my father and accepting my father, but that didn't stop him from making racial slurs um, in the house around us and what have you. And then later on in life, when I, when I start dating black guys, you know, the black girl, she's too light skinned. She ain't black. Da, da, da. So I've always had that, that identity crisis, you know? Um, so that definitely led me to one seeking attention, seeking validation, seeking a feeling of fitting in, um, belonging, fitting in and, and acceptance and love in all the fucking wrong places. So as much as I go, you know, to the drugs and alcohol were never the problem because it's not just drugs and alcohol, you know, um, I have emotional addiction issues. I have love, sex addiction, codependency, um, from a very young age, the age of 10. And, you know, I, I never really looked at it as sexual trauma, but I was hanging out with older men at the age of 10. And I don't mean like 13 year old boys. Like I was with 20 year old men um, from a very young age. And although the intercourse wasn't there, um, first of all, a 20 year old man and a 10 year old child have absolutely fucking nothing in common. And I could definitely say that today. Um, but you know, I was getting fed the drugs and the, okay. Yeah. And making out and shit like that, that's pedophilia, you know, like let, let's face it. Um, so, so that right there, you know, um, but always seeking that male figure that I was lacking in my life and just being part of, and as all that is happening, you know, I'm academically successful still. Um, I was leading a dual life for so long. So academically successful, I'll, I'll even go back to it. And, and that kind of plays into my ego. Um, you know, as much as I wanted to be a high school dropout, all of a sudden something clicked and I, no, I'm going to go to university. I'm going to fast track, you know, um, so I did fast track. I ended up going to university at a very young age, 17 years old. You know, I had my degree at the age of 20. Again, Alex. So as much as I'm leading this dual life, and I mean, from a very young age, I can't even tell you from the age of 10, where along that line, recreational use, and, you know, we were talking about it beforehand. It was fucking fun. It was recreational. I was having the time of my life. It was a party. It was a fucking party, you know, um, don't get me wrong, but I don't know where along that line and this, where we go into the progressiveness of the disease and dis-ease, I'll always put a hyphen mark between it. I have a dis-ease with self, um, where along that line, I went from recreational use to daily habitual abuse, but it was quick. Um, and it became my norm. It became my way of living. 
It became my lifestyle. It became by the end of it, my very identity. And I prided and glorified myself on it. And as I prided and glorified myself on that fact that I could outsnort you, outdrink you, outparty you, outfuck you, outdo you in everything, right? Disease of illusion, never enough. Alex can do more and more and more and more and more than everybody else and needs more and more and more, right? One too many, like try five fucking thousand, never enough, right? You could stay up for five days, I could stay up for six, watch me go, you know? I, I was in competition with everybody else to prove how much more I could do. Um, but as, so as, as all that's going on and it's just my daily norm and so normalized and regularized in my routine, it's my routine, um, you know, I'm still leading this, I thought I was functional. I thought I was functional for so long. I think the only person I was fooling was myself, but you know, over the span of 28 years, I was, I was silently and slowly killing myself and ruining myself on every level. And that's mentally, spiritually, um, physically, emotionally, socially, right down to financially and professionally by the end of it. So again, you know, going back to now, Alex is 20 years old. She has a university degree. She gets into the federal government of Canada, um, not entry level, already, you know, moving her way and power hungry. And this is where I'm power hungry, money hungry. I'm the fucking shit. I am the shit. That's, this is my problem, right? And this is my ego. Everybody is below me and everything is beneath me and watch me. And I just move up the ranks and move up the ranks, you know, so much so that, um, you know, that was my everything was that fucking job. And, um, and just being, you know, having to be like the youngest, the, the youngest executive, the youngest, this, the young, you know, but I was a real whiz kid, um, but this is all going to my head because as much as I'm leading a double life and like by night, like I, I'm, I'm dating dealers, I'm hanging out, I'm on the streets, I'm getting in fights. I, I, I'm living a completely dual life. And then by day, here's professional Alexandra, like working for the top dogs in the fucking federal government of Canada, even working in minister's offices. So like that would be like your equivalent of a governor or senator, you know? And here I am by day, professional Alex, um, until that do so, so always this level of success, you know, and when we go into that dis-ease of perception, um, my perception kept me in denial for so long. I'm not a criminal like the rest of you. Um, you know, I only do even right down to like, you know, I would never do fucking pharmaceuticals because fucking you could get that shit at the pharmacy. Like I, I only did illicit drugs and the best of the best for my nose. Like it had to be cocaine, nothing else. Um, you know, like, <laughs> like Alex or alcohol, you know, alcoholics go to meetings, drunks don't. But again, you know, that whole premise that I was the fucking shit, man. I was the best thing since sliced bread. Like I was it, I was big time, you know, and my exposure and like, this is all shit going to my head, right? But the world revolved around me. I was in self, so self-centered, so self-absorbed. Um, I didn't care about anybody else, but you know what, looking back on it today, I didn't care about anybody else because I didn't even, I didn't even care about myself, you know? Um, so yeah, so just, you know, so a very high ranking at a very young age, um, 
and still being able to lead this, this dual life until that dual life, I didn't realize it, but there was no more hiding it. And, you know, when we go into, you know, paying the high cost for our poor decisions, like I was stripped of any judgment, any decision-making, any um, rational thinking or logic. Um, I was starting to make all those mistakes on the job, but not realizing it, you know, well, kind of realizing it, but thinking I'm invincible. I'm not getting caught. There's no consequences to my actions. And like my, my drugging and drinking career spanned 28 years, you know, from the age of 10 to the age of 38. I didn't get into recovery until I was 38 years old. Um, in there too, you know, even with my, um, my father's, uh, my daughter's father, you know, um, that was a tumultuous, a tumultuous breakup. Um, but again, we didn't even know each other. You know, every relationship I've had, let's put that in quotation marks, relationship, um, I never really had any real relationships. And the only things that I had in common with anybody I was ever with um, was the fact that we drug and drank together. We facilitated and enabled each other. That's it, that's all. No, no other areas of interest, no other common areas of interest whatsoever. Um, Everybody, everybody was just a one night stand for me, right? Remember that I can outfuck you. Like I can count, I can't even count the amount of men that I've been with, right? That promiscuity thing, um, blackouts, you name it. Like I could have been gang banged. I, I didn't even know, you know, like the, the compromising um, situations I put myself in are absolutely, today I definitely realize there's always been a higher power with me that I didn't know then. But for me to be able to be here to live to tell the tale, um, my higher power has always been with me and I just had to find my fucking purpose, um, which I'm living out today. But even my father's daughter, right? Like he was supposed to be a one night stand, but the minute that you would show me, and then this goes back to my abandonment issues and, and my emotional addiction and my love addiction and my sex addiction, the minute that you would show me that little extra bit of attention, like come back the next day and I don't even remember your name. So I ask you to write your phone number on a piece of paper so that you could write your name on it because I have no clue what your name was to begin with. Um, you know, that's what happened. And it was love at first sight. Um, it was a three-year relationship too long. I ended up getting pregnant with my daughter and my daughter asked me this um, not too long ago, about a year ago. It was the first time that she heard this part of my story in a, in a podcast interview. Uh, she was over listening and she said, so I was a mistake. I said, you were not a mistake. You weren't planned. You are the greatest gift that I've ever had. My greatest achievement. It just took me 10 years to fucking show you, you know? Um, so yeah, so that was though a tumultuous, tumultuous um, breakup. You know, he come, came with his own baggage and his own issues. Um, I always, I used to always say the guys I've been with are emotion. They were emotionally damaged. Clearly, I was just as emotionally damaged as they were. Um, and that, you know, I ended up winning. Um, I ended up winning exclusive custody, and I don't know how, but I always looked good on paper, right? 
Alex, high-ranking, professional, successful, financially stable, freaking. On paper, I looked so good, and I could sell you. It's funny, the other day in a share, I was saying how uh, my background's in communications. I'm a spin doctor. I was spin doctoring everybody, like the lies I was telling, the portrayal of myself, the facade, the front, the mask I was wearing. But I'm a professional spin doctor, right? I could spin shit any which way, you know? So on paper, I looked, I was glowing, you know? But the judge had even told me there, you'd think this would be a wake-up call. Like, I could have very well had her taken away from me. The judge told me right there, like, as parents, you guys are fucking jokes. Like, you guys are really jokes, you know? Like, get your shit together. But that didn't stop me, you know? And, and I continued on. And it was just a debaucherous lifestyle for so long, you know? Um, and by the end of it, you know, in lead up to, and, and I'm going to get now to like in lead up to, in lead up to my spiritual awakening on April 22nd, 2017. And I'll tell you, it was definitely a spiritual awakening in that room. There was a power greater than myself in that room that day, because up until that point, that last year, um, especially the last six months in the throes of active addiction, there were times where between every rail and every swig of whiskey, I would be telling myself, this is the fucking last one. This is the last one. You can't live like this anymore. Now I go into, you know, that powerlessness, that step one powerlessness, right? Unmanageability. Um, I didn't realize my life had become completely unmanageable. I ruined my, my life completely. I'll get into that in a second. But that powerlessness was not only powerlessness, loss of, full loss of control of myself, but of my life. You know, cocaine and alcohol consumed my every thought, so I consumed it, you know, and that, that's, that's it, you know, by the end of it. But by the end, you know, every five minutes. So on April 22nd, 2017, when I had my, there was definitely a power greater than myself in that room that day for me to finally fucking take action flip the script, seek the help I so desperately needed for so long and get me to walk into the rooms of recovery that day. Um, but in lead up to that, that last year, you know, I was, I was a mess. I was a hot mess, but there's so many, I hit so many rock bottoms, like, you know, at work, I had been, I had just been promoted. Um, you know, when I was younger, like I'm 38 years old here now, you know, when I was younger, yeah, that shit could fly. Alex, Alex was fine, good, like coming in at 6 a.m. and freaking taking a, a shower and heading out the door, you know, she was she was good at that. But at 38 years old, I, I'm not a young pup anymore. Um, there was one morning that I could not, I got to work, I was so tweaked out. Um, and, and I just reeked, not, not that it was my first time looking like that or reeking or whatever, you know, but I, I was literally so tweaked out in my car. I called one of my friends and he's like, you cannot fucking possibly go in there. And I'm like, I can't, I can't. So I, I lied, uh, again, I, I've been lying every day. Like my absenteeism rate was through the roof, but this was my, my biggest one of all was, you know, I, um, I called in and said I got in a car accident and then I didn't show up to work for two months. And then there I was partying around the clock for two fucking months instead of going to work. 
and I was forging doctor's notes. Like I was forging my doctor's signature. I was literally going to work. And you know, when we say that, that overthinking and over planning and not being able to keep up with your lies anymore. And who, what did you tell this? And what date did you go on sick leave on? And blah, blah, blah. Like all oh, this is just this crazy fucking insanity of my, me spin doctoring my life. Right. Um, and like going and sitting there and putting my, my thing through the Xerox machine 500 times so that like the color looks right and matching it up. Like this is some crazy shit. I'm pretty resourceful. Um, but you know, and then that whole, you know, where I go it where, where I said earlier, that disease of perception, right. And I'm not a criminal like the rest of you, um, throughout this time. And it, it had not just started then it was just that I couldn't pay off before anybody could notice, but I had, um, taken a habit of using my, um, government travel card, my government Amex, um, public funds, um, to fund my own habits. <laughs> I was going to the liquor store with my travel card. That's the only place I was traveling to. And I was taking out cash advances by the end to fucking get my shit. Um, I'll tell you what, I've made a pretty good, I made such a good salary, you know, but for that to like, I made such a good salary. And then that November, I'm sitting here tweaked out in the morning and at nine o'clock in the morning, a bailiff comes to my door and I'm getting served a notice of foreclosure on my condo because I haven't paid my mortgage in seven months. So I almost have me and my daughter living out of the streets. Um, so right there and then I was like, what are you doing with your life, Alex? Like it's time to like fucking change shit. Clearly you have a problem. And I reached out to somebody who I'd known um, in active addiction. She was younger than me and uh, she had she had gone completely ballistic and committed herself and went to rehab and detox and everything and was in um was in a fellowship at that time uh, about three months in and uh, you know i reached out to her then but the, the the intent was there the will wasn't um i you know i didn't go to any meetings whatsoever i just talked to her and kept that line of communication open and then even on that new year's eve you know i went to um so I, I was clean and sober 28 days at that point, um, but no program. But I did go with her to the masquerade ball for that, that on that New Year's Eve for that that fellowship. And you know what? Like, how befitting! Like, what an analogy! Because Alex went in there thinking that she was clean for two hours so she could pass, and you know. I was the only one not wearing a mask yet. I was the one wearing a mask still. And as soon as that 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1 hit, like Alex couldn't go get out of there fast enough to go on a rampage. And that was like my final, final hurrah, four month hurrah. And, you know, I was getting into another codependent relationship with a much younger, much younger guy. Um, and the weekend before um, April 22nd, 2017, in a self in a drug-induced psychosis, I thought I would have to take my own life. Um, my dealers weren't coming to my house anymore. My, um, you know, when your dealers have cause for concern for you, there's a serious fucking problem. Like, they were telling me to get off the street. They didn't want to see my face. Um, they weren't coming to my house. So in one last final act of desperation, I went across town, picked up off of somebody I didn't know. And I could tell you what, whatever I put up my nose that day, for having done it for so long was definitely not fucking cocaine. 
um, I thought I would have to take my own life to to get get down from that shit. So now now it comes to a point that you can't even trust the shit that's on the streets anymore, right? Um, so just all these little things and all these rock bottoms, you know, um, that led to that. And then on April 22nd, 2017, unbeknownst to me, I would change my entire world. As I was laying there, um, there was so much going into my head. Like I, I, I could vividly remember this. You know, I was, I was so fucked. I was trying to go to sleep, but I got fucking woke, and that was it, man. Surrender, fucking turn it over. Like, I need help. I cannot live this life anymore. This life is not fair to myself, but it's not fair to my daughter. Who the fuck am I? She's about to be 10. I've been living this life. If I don't start talking the talk and walking walk and stepping up to the plate and being a fucking parent and being the woman I'm raising, who am I to sit there? I got to start leading by example here because I was her. I'm about, I was her age when I started living this life and there's no way I want her to live it. Right. So from there, when I go back to real transformation requires real honesty, you know, I, that, that's, that's the point where I got brutally and rigorously honest with myself. Alex is not, Alex, you ain't shit for shit. You're a junkie and you're an alcoholic and you need some fucking help and you need it now. Um, so I called that girl back, my friend back, um, from four months prior, who, you know what, when we go into that planting that mustard seed of faith, that's all it took. And uh, she walked me through those doors that day and there was no, no turning back. Um, but then I go into, you know, change is inevitable. You know, I'm not the same person I was five minutes ago, but transformation is a conscious choice. Um, you know, I started realizing I have a three-pronged disease um, I have a mental obsession, physical compulsion, and spiritual malady. I read uh, John C. Maxwell's quote early on in recovery. Um, change something you do daily, change your life. Your success lies in your daily routine. I completely overhauled my daily routine because remember how, how drugging and drinking were my, my lifestyle. They were my daily routine. Um, now recovery became my daily routine and I literally started breathing, eating, sleeping, living my recovery. Everything I do is motivated by recovery. So, you know, today I'm even a competitive bodybuilder, you know, and people will always ask me, is your, um, it, it, oh, it's, it's integral to your recovery. It's not integral, it is intrinsic to my recovery. I approach it exactly the same way I approach my recovery. Those 12 spiritual principles are absolutely applied and practiced in all my affairs. So whether that be my role as a sponsor, whether that be my role as a mother, whether that me, be me in the workplace, whether that be, um, you know, me hitting a stage, everything, everything, right? Um, it's absolutely, recovery is absolutely a lifestyle to me and it's a transformative process in and of itself. So, you know, I started working on myself, going downtown on myself, realizing the mind, body and soul synergy and how they work at interplay and working on every fucking level right? Day in and day out. I cannot escape. And that's what I call my sober grind. I cannot escape doing the mental exercise on the daily, the spiritual exercise on the daily and the physical exercise on the daily. And, you know, physical 
<laughs> good physical health promotes good mental health and good mental health promotes good physical health and vice versa, right? And um, so, yeah, so, you know, I'm going for my pro card and this is an analogy I use a lot to, to, to show people that those 12 spiritual principles from my program, you know, and I always say nutrition and fitness have proven viable approaches to my recovery complemented by my 12-step style program you know i work a trifecta program it's win 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 um it's a holistic approach because it's holistic it's my entire being right my mind body and soul um recovery is coming back to that aligned balanced and harmonious state with yourself right the restoration of a hopeless state of mind body and soul and that's that's the way I work it every day, day in and day out. You know, my daily reprieve is contingent on my spiritual maintenance. That's contingent on my physical maintenance and my mental maintenance and my emotional maintenance, you know. Um, so, yeah, so I approach everything. So for me, like right now and at four years into my journey and I'll finish it with this, you know, at four years into my journey, um, you know, at this juncture, there was just something, you know, you know how we say if we are painstaking about this phase of our development, we will be amazed before we are halfway through. I'm fucking painstaking with myself every day. I'm going to be working on myself day in and day out every day for the rest of my life, God willing. But I'm already fucking amazed, you know, put in the work, reap the rewards, right? Um, but at four years into to, to my journey, you know, there was just something had to give. I went into a deep depressive state this winter, started realizing that my um, that my behavioral patterns and my character defects were starting to resurface and my addictions were starting to um, manifest in different forms, body dysmorphia, you name it. Like there was so many things going on um, that I, you know what? I need a mindset transformation coach. I'm going for my pro card year. This is my pro card. It's time for me to go profound again to grow pro. You know, I want to be pro in all my fucking affairs. So I got a mindset transformation coach. I'm redoing my steps formally, um, you know, and I do sponsor. I, I also sponsor women, but like I am doing, I'm taking valuing my time and going deep down inside myself again and focusing some of that energy back on me um because a lot of it you know uh i i tend to go <laughs> i tend to be in, addicted to doing 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 and helping everybody else with their recovery but neglecting my very own at the same time right our blessing cannot be our curse um so yeah so you know I have to do the work day in and day out. And there's a direct correlation between the amount of work I put in and those promises materializing, right? And they do fucking materialize. Like I'm living proof, you know, I didn't get into the part where, you know, I did everything catches up to you. I did get um, fired from the federal government of Canada after 28 years, after 18 years of pensionable service. Um, but I'm back in today. You know, somebody was following my journey on social media and lo and behold, sent me a Facebook messenger one Monday morning. And within three weeks, I was back in the federal government. And, you know, this after a year of being unemployed, back working top level, the same level I left at, but better than ever. You know, um, angels put on my path, 
you name it, these miracles. I, I can't even explain the shit that, ha that has happened to me in the last four and a half years of my life. But again, going back to that real transformation requires real honesty. Um, I don't even look the same that I did four and a half years ago, you know, and I'll just end it with this, you know, like my whole journey, if I look back on it in retrospect today, what I can um, definitely, you know, 28 years of substance abuse, but that was a culmination of 28 years of substance abuse, a complete lack of self-respect for myself, stripped of any dignity I may have ever had, um, a disregard for my health and wellness and my well-being and that of my daughters, my safety and my security. Um, but you know what, like, since being in recovery, you know, I've lost 100 pounds. I actually had to bulk up for my first competition. Um, I lost 100 pounds in my first year. But you know what? It's not about the weight loss. It's about the life gained. Um, I'm not on a diet. I absolutely am on a lifestyle change. And, you know, I may be half the size, but I'm two times the mother, human, woman, and individual I ever was. And, you know, recovery, again, if I say that it's going back to that transformative state, right? The goal is not to be clean and or sober. It's absolutely to love yourself enough to live an addiction-free life. It's not only about abstinence. It's about creating a quality of life for yourself, a healthy and abundant life, you know, and that happiness that I was always looking for and that love that I was always looking for, it was all fucking within me. I was looking for it in all the wrong places, you know? Um, and absolutely, you know, self-care is absolutely um, self-love. Self-love is self-respect and self-respect is self-discipline and, you know, respect yourself and respect your efforts. And once you have all four of those under your belt, like that's absolutely where the fucking true power lies, you know, and, and tapping into your higher self and higher power on daily. Um, we are capable of so much, you know, um, you would have told me my life would have been like this today. I, I would have done this fucking years ago. But you know what? It just was not my time. You know, it's all God's will and way for me. And it's just now me living out my my purpose, right? Um, even running Sober Active Canada, which is my national nonprofit organization um, here in Canada. Don't let the Canada fool you now that everything's gone Zoom and online. Um, it's pretty much borderless. Um, but, you know, I, I provide a platform. I do lives. Um, I provide a platform to share other people's um, experience, strength, and hope. Um, that piece about lifestyle management, strengthening and nourishing our recovery by being active um, through nutrition, doing the self-care work, you know, the, the mental, physical, spiritual, social, um, practical, and, and mental self-care work on ourselves to nourish and strengthen our recovery on a daily basis. Um, so I, I share other people's experience, strength, and hope. I spotlight people, I feature them, and, um, you know, carry the message of health, hope, and healing, and foster health, hope, and healing, and uh, affect lifestyle, sustainable, um, 
habit changes, right? Empowering people to make those health conscious and wise decisions for themselves. Um, but we also hold, you know, I, I also hold um, virtual and um, locally based events, which are, um, you know, either group physical activities. We're going on a recovery hike in La Belle, Quebec on July 17th. Um, so if you're in the Quebec region, um, come check that out. But yeah, you know, group physical activity or um, beginner yoga sessions and workouts in parks uh, coupled with a 12-step style format meeting. But they're all topical discussion meetings focused on either fitness and recovery, uh, nutrition and recovery. I am a certified health and lifestyle coach today and I only work with recovering addicts and alcoholics. But you know, as much as I'm addicted to bettering myself, I'm addicted to helping others better themselves. Um, and that's, that's just beyond anything I would have ever thought because let's get back to the Alex that didn't care enough about herself to fucking care about anybody else today like that's my passion right like I absolutely want to help everybody else um help show them that they could live healthy and happy lives show them that they're capable of so much more and that they are so worthy of this fight if there's any battle worth fighting it's this one and again, when we go back to the self-care is self-love, self-love is self-respect, self-respect is self-discipline. That's where the true fucking power lies, you know? Love yourself enough to fucking live a life unaddicted. Boom. Bam. Drop the mic with that, yeah. dude. Like, love yourself enough to live a life unaddicted. Yeah. To live a life unaddicted. That was great. Oh, I got work to do. Yeah, yeah. I guess she's, the, she's hard to follow, that's man. No that's joke. a hard. That's a hard message to follow, right no, I there. I feel like we should just let that sit with everybody for a minute. <laughs> just shut the fuck up and let everybody yeah. resonate. And all so, that. soak that in, dude. Alex, like, thank you. There was a, a lot with her story that I really identified with. Yeah, um, she, uh, she's, she's come an incredibly long way. Like, one, one thing that I heard her say that we hear all too, too often, and. And in her case, you know, she had this mixed race thing growing up that, that definitely yeah. contributed to the idea that she didn't belong. Yeah. Right. Uncomfortable in our own skin. Right. And, and you know, we hear that a lot. Like in my case, you know, I, I, I had that as well. Um, but I can only imagine what it would be like for, for somebody um, in, in her particular situation. But yeah. I definitely identified with that. Yeah. And the comfort that we get. Yeah. You know? And she talked about how she wasn't sure, like, when it happened. When when did it go from recreation to to being an issue? You know? Yeah. And and the one thing, what is it that you always say? What? Well, I, the one thing that I think of that you always say is like, it happens when you go from lying about how much <laughs> you drink, yeah, to lying about how much you aren't drinking. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, Basically. Yeah. Something like, like I haven't, that. I haven't said that for a long time. No, but, but I like it. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, I, I love Alex's story and I love her delivery of it, man. I, I can relate with like having that double life and like, you know, she she grew up uh, a life pretty fucked up mm -hmm. starting at 10, yeah. you know, and I can relate with that, you know, and I can relate with that, that need and I can relate with getting to the point where people no longer want to be, even the fucked up people don't want to be around you. Yeah. You know, getting... All the way out there, completely out there. Yeah. You know, spiritually broken, emotionally just fucked up. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it was crazy to hear just about how her drug dealers were were uh, were were telling her, "Hey, you 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 got to get off the streets, man. Like you need some help." And I think, you know, like we, you you know it's bad when the people that are providing you with the thing that you're using to get fucked up express concern. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and I don't know, like it. It's funny because it reminds me that drug dealers aren't necessarily low lives. Like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, a lot of them are I, just like us. Yeah, like I, I, I don't know if I, I'll, I'll say that and I'll just leave it at that, yeah. right? Like, um, but, but man, I mean, you know, it just, it just speaks to to where she was at. Yeah, and and you know, we can we keep trying, right? Like we keep trying. Something happens that makes us think, well. Maybe it's the drugs, right? And then, and then we try a little bit of sobriety or try a little bit of change, and it doesn't stick because we're not ready or it's not our bottom or whatever, you know. Quite have the and, willingness isn't there. And, and for her, it was the same thing, you know, and it, it took, uh, you know, considering suicide and then, you know, her daughter getting to the age that she was when her life fell off the rails mm-hmm. and putting herself in that position of who she was as a kid and going, fuck man, this is, this is me. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm fucking, I'm fucked. Yeah. Like I'm an alcoholic, I'm a drug addict and I need help and I need it now. Yeah. You know, and, and luckily she had some experience, you know, like she said, that muster seed of hope, a little tiny seed of hope was planted by somebody that was probably just as fucked up as she was. Like she saw, her friend that, you know, had four months, she saw her some, some type of change in that four months, you know, going into detox, watching her friend going to detox and, and treatment and, and doing the deal and then getting sober and then asking for help and being shown where to go. And I love that her analogy of the, the masks, you know, everybody mm-hmm. in there is wearing a mask, but her, but she was wearing the biggest mask of all. Right. Yeah. And, and we have to take those things off. We have to unmask ourselves and reveal who we are, you know, get real raw. And I can tell by her delivery of her message that Alex has gotten fucking raw with herself. Well, right. She's discovered who she is. Yeah. You know. She says, you know, like real transformation requires real honesty. Yeah. And and, and that's just the thing. It's like if if we're going to make any change, like we we have to just be open like that. Yeah. We, we have to with, with ourselves primarily, but with those around us as well, yeah. you know, like it, it's so, so crucial to, to have any sort of lasting change. Yeah. And, uh, and she's, she's proof of that. Yeah. She's, Huge proof. She's crushing I'm ex- it. I'm excited to see all the, all the things that she does with her, her pro weightlifting stuff, all the things she does with sober active Canada. Um, just everything you know she she does a a recovery women's like i want to say it's like i don't know it's bad badass bitches or something (laughs) i can't remember how she put out i don't offend anybody with that because i don't have it right but you know she does huge women's support you know and and recovery and and she goes to a lot of the the team 12 meetings and she's willing to share her story everywhere all the time, her experience, strength and hope. And I'm, I'm really grateful to have gotten her on the show. 
Yeah, super, you know, super share great. it on our platform because I, I know I needed it. You know, I need to be transparent and willing to discover new parts of myself and find new places that need work and be able to share that stuff with our audience and and all that stuff. And I can't do this shit alone. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I'm grateful that we have people like Alex who uh, who are a part of this community and 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 willing to share their stories because I think it's important that. People hear stories like Alex's to, to know that, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how things get, we're able to, to, to turn our lives around and, and in the process of doing so, discover some pretty great things about ourselves. Yeah. Become pretty awesome. Yeah. So thank you, Alex. Thank you, Alex. Can't thank you enough for your story. You're awesome. You are awesome. Um, but there you go, dude. Yeah. Hey, that's another episode. You're awesome. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, thanks. You're awesome. I am awesome. Everybody's awesome. Oh, we're all awesome. There's a song, I think. Jordan, you're awesome. Rylan, what's up, big dog? You're awesome. Thanks, Rylan. Thanks, Jordan. You guys are amazing. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, for listening. And remember, you are worth the work. We'll see you on the other side. The Other Side of Hell is a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.